Coming up this week on Sporting Journal Radio. Just because LiveScope helps you catch fish doesn't help you keep the fish. But there's a lot of fish that you can just go find on your own and have them all to yourself. And that's the big debate going on right now. And Dennis Anderson had a big article. I fish, I hunt, and always will. Broadcasting from the Alclair Outdoor Studios. Presented by OnX. Know where you stand with OnX. <clears throat> We're not just a radio show anymore. This is Sporting Journal Radio. Oh, that's right. Welcome to the show. I am Brett Amundsen. Thank you for tuning in on this station right here by downloading the podcast wherever you get your favorite podcast, or maybe you're watching this on YouTube. Thank you very much. We're fresh off our trip uh, to Lake of the Woods. Dan, how's it going? Dan Amundsen with us over there. I'm tired. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah, that was kind of a, kind of a, a, it's been a long, I don't like to use the word grind, but it's been kind of a grind. We've been on the road a lot. We just got done doing uh, whatever, five days or whatever it was up at Lake of the Woods. We almost stayed longer, but I had a report for jury duty, which I ended up not having. So that's always kind of frustrating. Like I could have stayed an extra day at Lake of the Woods and had to come home to report for jury duty. And uh, then of course it got canceled. So, but that's the way it goes. And honestly, it was kind of rainy and stormy. So we, we left. Um, but Dan, we had, a, we had a pretty good couple of days fishing up there. I don't think you've ever had a bad day of fishing in Lake of the Woods. It, you know, well, I'm sure some people think it's bad, but like I always kind of said this trip, you know, it wasn't my best trip to Lake of the Woods, but we had the fishing we had in just about any other lake in the Midwest, take out Lake Erie or some other outliers like that. We'd have a really, really good trip. And so we're really happy, I think. Well, I got a little spoiled because my first walleye of the trip was a 30-incher. So pretty much everything after that was just kind of just kind of gravy. So uh, we did some filming while we were up there. We'll talk more about our Lake of the Woods trip. We did some really cool things with LiveScope. And there was an article from Dennis Anderson that is uh, causing a bit of a stir in the fishing world, uh, not just here in Minnesota, but all over. We're going to talk about our reaction to using LiveScope, our reaction to his article. And we'd love to hear from you, too, what you think of LiveScope and li uh, live imaging and the effect that that's going to have on the fishing industry. Comment below. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you like, subscribe share all that good stuff if you like what you're seeing we appreciate it uh we've also gonna we're also gonna get a lake of the woods fishing report with joe henry and we we love to learn about fish and and honestly wildlife in general so we had wildlife biologist ali shakur on the show a while back to talk about some really interesting walleye research and he actually commented on uh responded with some research about a live scope and its effect on fish uh in reference to dennis anderson's article so we're going to talk about his reaction to live scope and people's uh, responses to that and uh, talk to him about some walleye research coming up but first dan who are this week's sponsors this week we have that's really quiet yeah uh where'd the video go live target you switched up the order on me live target yeah, match the hatch at live target lures.com lake of the woods lake of the woods is the walleye capital of the world plan a trip to lake of the woods at lake of the woods mn.com haybell heights campground and resort book a trip to devil's lake in north dakota this summer learn more at haybellheights.com Otter Tail Lakes Country, find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. Prairie Sportsman, new season wrapped up this few weeks ago. Uh, you can still watch episodes anytime at the Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel, and that's it. <laughs> that is it. That's right. up on me. I did. So uh, check out our sponsors. Thank you very much for sponsoring the show. If you'd like to sponsor the show and be a part of it too, uh, just get a hold of us. 
and uh, reach out to us and let us know. And uh, if you've got an event coming up too, we're happy to uh, donate some prizes. Uh, just get a hold of us. We just donated to a couple of women's events that took place this past week in the Women Anglers of Minnesota. Had a big shindig at Arrowwood, and uh, we donated them. Uh, so we're we're happy to be a part of it. I'm glad that it sounds like that event went well. And then Dan, we we ended up at Riverbend on Saturday night last week, and they had their it, it's the eleventh. They started it 11 years ago, but it's the 10th event. They had uh, they had to take a year off for COVID, but they had 38 teams of women that fished uh, Lake of the Woods and uh, then and dressed up and partied at Riverbend this weekend. It was a good time. Yeah, it was a big old luau at the Riverbend Resort. Felt I wasn't sure if we were on the you know looking at boats going out on the ocean to go catch mahi mahi or boats going to catch walleyes a little bit. But yeah, it was a it's always a good time at Riverbend, but it's a lot of fun when you get a big group of people together that are happy to be fishing and caught a lot of fish and people walked away with some money and and had a got paid to go fishing. Pretty good day. I didn't realize it was a luau, but at some point I ended up with a grass skirt on and and a cowboy hat and. Uh, what else did I have on? You had a lay. Oh, oh yeah. Well, yeah, that's right. We all had lays on. So I said you looked like uh, Rip Wheeler from, if you order Whip Wheeler off a of Wish. <laughs> I wish I had the picture in the system to show the world. You'd want your money back. Uh, yeah, for sure. No, that was a great time. And I, at one point I was balancing that cowboy hat upside down on top of my head. I don't know how that worked, but uh, it was a good time. It was good. We always have a good time up there. And uh, then we went from there and we went over to Arneson's and did some filming for Prairie Sportsman with a group of guys that have been fishing together for over 30 years and they all had wow. uh, in interesting nicknames for each other some we can say on air some we can't so it was it was interesting to try to film that for a pbs uh family audience dan at times well they they understood the assignment they knew they they know how editing works and what they can get away with and what they can't and sometimes they forgot the line and <laughs> someone has some work to do but was, yeah. they're a good group of guys I don't know what was more enjoyable actually going out and catching walleyes or hanging out listening to them tell the tell stories and some were the same stories that you and I have heard for a few times so those guys have heard those same stories for 30 years and they still yeah. get a kick out of them and it's fun to watch them have fun like that 100% it was more fun to hear the stories I mean we got to go fishing with them uh, you took some guys out I took some guys out too and did some filming and uh, they all caught nice fish and we had a couple of fish fries so it was a good trip up there and we're excited to have that show for you coming next season on prairie sportsman and i got to do well we both did you ran a live scope on the boat that you had and always. i was what's that i said always yeah and yeah. then i was running uh one of the rental boats uh a boston whaler from arneson's and i bungee corded my live scope pole to the side of it because it didn't have rod holders on the side so i i i fashioned a live scope mount out of a bungee cord and live scopes and walleyes we anchored up at one point dan and i had gotten a report one of the other boats have were catching walleyes in uh, 15 10 to 15 feet of water i think he was anchored in 13 feet of water so we pulled up next to him so i anchored right off the drop off because it went from 20 to 15 and i anchored right on the on the bottom side and they were up on top catching fish and i pointed my live scope uh, kind of straight out from the boat and I was able to see the drop off and I'd watch walleyes come in and then they'd come up on the top to feed. So I was, I'd see them come in and I was pitching a jig at them and I caught three, I don't know, three twenty low 20 inch fish on the live scope. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you very much. But my, but my most interesting fish was the 30 incher, of course, the best fish of the trip. Uh, one of the best fish in my life. Uh, but the, the most interesting way we use live scope to me, Dan is 
I was in your boat, you were trolling, you got the live scope mounted on your trolling motor and you were in front working a reef. And what were you looking for on your live scope? Fish, <laughs> fish structure, the whole, the whole shebang of what was in front of us and what we were going to pull over. Um, and you had the view out the back. It was kind of a nice little nifty one, two combo. And I know we've seen people run live scope out the back before we did. Well, we did Brandon. with Brandon when we yeah. musky fished. He had it, had his mounted on his Minn Kota Vantage on the back. He wasn't running that trolling motor. He's using his bow mount, but then he just used that trolling motor as the pole and he could point it at his, at the suckers we were dragging behind. And so you were kind of able to do the same thing. And so I could see fish that we were about to pull over and then you could see fish that might be coming in from the side or coming in behind us and that we're about to eat our baits or whatever bait you were looking at. We couldn't see all three of us, but... I think you were looking at yours or, or Denny's maybe, I don't know. And it yeah. wasn't mine. Cause why would you do that for me? Right. Well, cause you had your own life. Well, scope. I can't see my own bait <laughs> when I'm trolling. Well, honestly, that what I did is I just pointed it out the back and part of that came from Randon, but now I'm getting so accustomed to using live scope and open water that, you know, we've fished now and been able to watch fish react to our baits 30 to 50 feet away from the boat and it's it's like ice fishing it's like when you're vertically jigging uh, don't compare open water to ice fishing because now i don't want to do it anymore so it's like ice <laughs> fishing in the sense that when you're sitting over that hole and you're running sonar straight down you can you can work a fish up and down you can see how fish are reacting to your bait well that's what i've that's how i've been using live scope i mean yes you can use it to find fish i've been using it mostly because most of the time i'm in your boat and you're finding fish with the front live scope i'm using mine to see how fish are reacting to our baits that reef we were working had some wicked structure where it went from say 23 24 feet up to 17 or so with some varying degrees in there and i could literally watch out the back and watch and i didn't know whose spinner it was or whose uh, bottom bouncer it was but i after a while i found out that i was actually able to pinpoint mine and i could run the contour to a not get snagged but stay right above the top as it did one of these. But I also started to mark fish and see them following that spinner. And I was, and I was, I saw that big 30 inch fish on there and I was just about to say something when he hit it and uh, pulled it up. And I will say the one drawback of having that live scope off the side of the boat, Dan, is when I brought up that 30 incher, he got tangled in the live scope cable. Yeah. You're lucky you weren't fishing alone. Yeah, that would have been a nightmare. And I'll be honest, man, you did a good job of uh, captaining that boat over that structure. And then we had a third guy in the boat, my dad, my dad, right? No, no Denny, my uncle. And he was trying to net the fish and it was, you know, with the net and the live scope pole and the cable, it was getting complicated. So you actually reached down and grabbed them and pulled that big fish into the boat. So I give you a uh, big time assist on that fish. Thank you very much. Uh, but one of the biggest walleyes I've ever caught in my life. And now did that live scope help me catch that fish? Yes and no. Would I have caught that fish without the live scope? There's definitely still a good chance that I would have because I did have the bait in the right place. Now, obviously I was able to work that contour a little bit. I did notice the fish, but I don't know. I can't say definitively if that live scope actually you know, if I would have caught that fish without it, yes or no. And that's the big debate going on right now. And Dennis Anderson had a big article uh, recently in the Star Tribune. And we want to hear your comments. What do you think about live scope and how is that going to affect the future of fishing? Comment below if you're watching this on YouTube or wherever you are. We want to hear your comments on it. Dan, what was your reaction to that article? Well, I've said this before and I'll say it again. Just because live scope helps you catch fish doesn't help you keep the fish. That's still an angler's choice. And if what ultimately will put a strain on a fishery, yes, fishing pressure, catch and release mortality is a thing. But what ultimately puts a strain on a fishery is when you have 
angler after angler after angler going out and keeping limit after limit after limit. Live scope doesn't make the fish, A, it doesn't make the fish bite. Yeah. B, it doesn't make the fish go in your live well. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, I understand the concern because I think a lot of people might have the realization that we can't change everyone's mind on keeping or catching and releasing fish. People, Some people have their minds made up. But I think, I think there's still enough people out there that once they realize, okay, this, there is a threat to this. If we keep keeping these fish, that that might be a problem. We might be able to change some minds, but what can't happen is we put the blame on the technology. Now I'm sure people said the same thing when Vexlars came out, when the first paper graphs came out, when electric trolling motors came out, when line counting reels came out and all this blah, 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 blah. Fishing has been evolving forever. It's going to continue to evolve. We just got to learn to adapt with it and understand what we need to do to manage our fisheries. And that falls on us as anglers. It doesn't yeah. fall on the companies and the DNR. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, you can't blame the tech, the companies for making the tech, and you can't blame anglers for using the best options out there. Uh, Drake Heard shared this link, and uh, there's been a, a 50 comments that I'm kind of reading through here, and some of them I have no problem with it, and some of them are saying only posers use this. Uh, the you know the average fisherman can't afford this yet, and then some people saying you're ignorant if you think this won't affect fish populations. Um, but what I think is funny is some people think that if you're using this like in his this guy proceeds to say you're not actually fishing if you're using this and he says some of this tech is turning people into jerks out on the lakes and i i'll i'll say there's jerks on the lake no matter what tech they're using out there you can't blame the technology for people being uh, jerks out on the water so uh it it could uh, it could result in lowering limits. I could see that happening because I think it is helping you locate cat, locate fish and uh, giving you the you know some people will sit there. We've talked to Drake and uh, uh, and Eric uh, McCoy when he won the tournament. He talked about casting at a rock, you know, however many times till that fish finally bit, won that big tournament. So it's definitely helping you find fish and try to get them to bite, but you still got to make them bite. And the technology I don't think is going to go away, Dan. No, it, it won't. I mean, what are you going to do? Have law? There will be major, major lawsuits. And yeah, it, it's here to stay. Get used to it, whether you like it or not. You'll end up liking it. I guarantee it. And I think it is so much fun. And these guys that say, well, it's pathetic watching people just stare at their screens all day. Well, you know what? It's fun. It's fun because you're learning what's going on under the water. Whether you catch fish or not, to me, it's fascinating to learn more about fish habits. Uh, and, you know, when you're just staring at a, at a surface and blind casting all the time, sure, it's fun to try to break a lake down and figure it out. But that's exactly what you're doing with this technology. It's just it's just an advancement in technology that gives you a better view of what's going on under the surface and better uh, a better opportunity to learn fish behavior. It's up to you as an angler to determine how much pressure you're putting on those fish and causing fish more so don't it's it just comes back to don't blame the tool blame the person using the tool if there is a problem right you could look at a number of different industri industries and see similarities and you're not going to blame the tool in certain situations you're going to blame the person using the tool and to me this is exactly the same thing and Ali Shakur actually commented on that post from Drake Hurd about some walleye research it was uh, I think it was crappie research that was done where they actually went out and fished for two weeks with live scope and fished for two weeks without it I believe I, I have to I just saw that he posted about this I don't know exactly everything about it but saw that there was no negative impact on those populations 
solutions. Now, obviously more research will be done. We'll learn more. There's a lot of research being done by biologists like Ollie. And actually, Ollie Schuer is involved in a really cool walleye research topic that he's going to tell us about coming up here on the show. And we're going to get a fishing report from Lake of the Woods with Joe Henry when we come back. Kodiak, a North American waterfowl film, is coming to the Fish Hunt Forever YouTube channel. I've been a sea duck hunter for about 30 seconds, and I've already got one that's probably going to go on the wall, so this is the coolest duck hunt I've ever been on. Presented by Boss Shot Shells, with support from Sitka and Beretta, and additional support from Alclair Outdoors, High Prairie Animal Arts, and the Association of Great Lakes Outdoor Riders. Watch Kodiak on the Fish Hunt Forever YouTube channel. 852 million acres of public land, 147 million private properties, all in the palm of your hand. The number one hunting GPS app just got better. With hundreds of custom map layers, 3D and topographic maps, you can easily scout on the road or at home before you go. And now you can get important weather details, CWD detection, and even know what crops have been planted where. Get the most trusted hunting GPS app ever made. Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. All right, this is Sporting Journal Radio. I'm Brett Amundsen. Thank you for tuning in on this radio station on the network, or maybe you're downloading the podcast or watching this on YouTube. Thank you very much. Dan Amundsen and David Eckhart with us. And once again, Joe Henry from Lake of the Woods Tourism joins us. Joe, we're excited because this is Lake of the Woods Week for us. We're uh, spending time up at Lake of the Woods. I feel like we're making more and more trips up there uh, every year. How many? This is our... This, is our, this will be your third trip up there, Dan. Yeah. So uh, when am I just going to, when are we moving the studio to Bidet or we need, here? <laughs> we need a studio, a home studio at Lake of the Woods for sure. I think we just move up. Wait, okay. Oh, we could. We, you talk about Lake of the Woods and you're all smiling. I mean, look at even Brett smiling today. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's oh. a good thing, you know? That is, that is kind of <laughs> rare for today. I'm excited. Yeah, it's been a day. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited to get up there, Joe. I, I can't wait. And, you know, normally in the, open water season i'm normally not getting up there until july or august and you know when you think about fishing walleyes in july and august sometimes it gets a little bit tough that hasn't necessarily been the case at lake of the woods i think that's kind of one of the exceptions to the rule but i'm excited to fish up there in june i mean i guess this is i mean no dan this would be your because we went up hang on february okay so i guess up in april yeah for i forgot about ice fishing yeah so this will be my third trip this will be your fourth trip up there this year yeah but really, this will probably be the first time I get to fish the big lake. Yeah. I'm, I fish the big lake well, a little bit after all. So here's the deal, you know. So I, I fish central Minnesota some too, you know. And I can tell you this. That walleye bite is already starting to get much more difficult in downstate Minnesota. You know, right away when the opener happens, you can get some walleyes. And as the season progresses and those weeds start coming up and those bait fish are growing. And that walleye, those walleyes slide off that shallow structure. You know what? It gets tougher and tougher. And it's already getting tougher. And this is where Lake of the Woods shines because you can find walleyes and saugers in Lake of the Woods all year long. Tourists ask me, when's the best time to go up? And honest to goodness, the answer is when it, whenever it's best for you because our, our uh, charter boats, our guides, they are on walleyes all year long. And uh, they're, I mean, right now they're pulling in lots and lots of limits, you know, lots of limits. And they're letting a lot of fish go. It's been very, very, very good fishing. Yeah, I uh, we have a we have a favorite lake in the spring, and we didn't have time to fish it yet. And finally, by the time we got out there to it, it was our, like the bite was already over. Like it, we struggled. Yeah. 
we struggled and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't even June yet. So we thought it was going to be really good. So yeah, you're right. And I, I remember the first time I fished up at Lake of the Woods and it was mid August. I'm like, this is going to be, this is going to be terrible. And we anchored and jig fished out in the, out in the basin out there. And we smashed, like, I don't know how many slot fish we caught. I know that we had two women on the, we were on a launch and we had, uh, Two women were on the boat, and they caught the two biggest walleyes. Then their husband, their husband, it was two congratulations, husband yeah, two husband and wife combos that I was on the boat with, and the two, the two women caught uh, I think the two biggest fish, which were they were around thirty inch walleyes. Jeez. And uh, this is middle of the day, middle of August, is eighty some degrees, and uh, we absolutely crushed fish just vertically jigging out there. Yeah, you know, I, I'll tell you, um, I kind of put up kind of a funny video uh, not too long ago, you know, and uh, it, it really pretty much said it was kind of a hillbilly kind of looking guy and sounding guy, and he pretty much said, yeah, you know what, if you want to go catch a whole bunch of fish, you got to go to a lake that has a whole bunch of fish. And, you know, we kind of kid around about that logic, but it, it is really true. It is logical. There it is. Yeah, there it is. Go you got to you gotta hit that. Let's hear that sound. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so, but you know, we, we always kid around, you know, I always tell you guys how my, I kid my buddies about, hey, you guys want to catch a, a monster walleye? Go to a lake that has a lot of monster walleye, same logic. But, you know, it, it's, uh, and you know, Lake of the Woods is unique. It's that stained water. So those fish are, uh, they act differently. They feed during the day. We, we don't have a ton of weeds. You know, normally you're fishing, you know, uh, either rock or mud or sand or the transitions. Um, you know, the deepest spot in Big Traverse Bay is only about 38 feet deep. So that whole thing is like a big aquarium. And there's Ro Roman schools of walleyes and saugers throughout the whole thing. You know, uh, naturally, some boats are going to be attracted to other boats and they're going to go fish where the other pack of boats are. And you'll catch fish that way. But there's a lot of fish that you can just go find on your own and have them all to yourself. I, Danny mentioned uh, a while back about how I like to sometimes fish shallow structure in the summer. And you be, I'll, I'll at least check it when I'm doing a milk run and just check that five, six, seven feet of water and pull a, pull a harness over the top of it to see if anything's living there. I'll tell you, if, if they are living there, boy, it can be light sell real quick. I mean, there's so many opportunities that I get excited about. Well, we're going to be fishing that big bay, that that big Travers uh, quite a bit, but we might try to run up to the northwest angle while we're up there too, Joe. And it's 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 going to be similar fishing, obviously, but at the same time, it's almost completely different because of the different structure. It's like a different lake almost up there. It really is, yeah. That's you know, it's the northern the, nor the northwest angle. It's where the northernmost point of the contiguous U.S. is. It's where the fourteen thousand five hundred fifty-two islands of our lake begin. And consequently, there's just a ton of structure. I mean, you know, you're fishing, you know, so many islands. If it's a little bit windy, you duck behind an island and it's calm. Uh, you got neck down areas, you got underwater points, you got sunken islands, you got transition areas, you got red cabbage in the bays. I mean, there's so much, and, and it's very much more, you know, multi-species. So, you know, you get your walleyes, good chance of catching a 20 plus pound pike or a 50 plus inch muskie while you're fishing your walleyes. If you want to go cast in shorelines, it'll be a, a mixed bag of, smallmouth, walleyes, pike, muskies, jumbo perch, crappies. I mean, you know, everything lives up there. And uh, it's just, it's so beautiful. And uh, it's just really a neat area. You know, uh, uh, it's kind of interesting too. You know, we, uh, our, our businesses up at the Northwest Angle really, uh, really took it hard 
business-wise when we had the pandemic because the Canadian border was closed and, you know, the majority of people will get up to the Northwest Angle by driving up. And of course, when you drive to the Northwest Angle, you got to drive about, you know, 40 miles through Canada and then you re-enter into the U.S. up at the Angle. And, you know, back a few years ago, we had gotten a, a $5 million forgivable loan program for the Northwest Angle businesses for COVID, COVID relief, basically. And what happened was, uh, under the definition of that, 2.9 million was used, 2.1 million was put back to uh, a general fund for the state legislature. We went after that 2.1 million for year two last year. But as you remember, there's a huge omnibus bill that kind of got left hung out to dry. So we went after it again this year, and this year we got it. So that 2.1 million will be you know, put into the economy up there. And I'll tell you what, check it with some of the resorts up there. Year two was almost more difficult in some cases than year one. If you remember year one of COVID during the winter, we had that Northwest Angle Guest Ice Road. Year two, we really didn't have that ice road. So a lot of the resorts I spoke to were down 46 to 87% year mm. two of COVID. So this Ouch. this money is, is gonna be distributed through that area is gonna be well needed and, and you know people hung on by the skin of their teeth. They got loans. They used up their kids' college fund. They used up their retirement just to hang on. And and uh, and then, of course, last year we had flooding, which this forgivable loan program isn't for the flooding at all. However, that did happen, and it, it's going to be helpful. You know what I mean? You know, it's such a neat area up there, and uh, we, were, we were happy to help out any way we could here, and I'm glad they were able to get a little support because uh, it's important to keep those businesses afloat up there and keep that as a, as a destination for people like us that, that want to go up there. So we're looking forward to trying to get up there a little bit, Joe, and I know you can drive up through the border. Um, you can also uh, take the boat up there, which we might try to do if we get a nice calm day in Dan's boat. Uh, otherwise, there's a, uh, like a charter service you can take across on the water as well too, right? Yeah, that's called the Lake of the Woods Passenger Service. And that's a it's a charter boat service that if you want to avoid customs, if you don't have a passport or or just want to avoid customs, you just take a nice charter boat right up. They'll, they'll load all your stuff up on the south end of the lake and they'll take you up to whatever Northwest Angle Resort you're staying at. And and then at the end of your trip, whenever that ends, they'll just they'll take you back to where your you know, where your, your cars parked. And it's a really, really a nice deal. They, they do the same thing in the winter too with bombardiers. So it gives you an opportunity to avoid the the border is some people can't get over because they don't have the credentials or whatever. Um, you know, the other thing I should mention too, Brett, is uh, I don't want to get off topic, but if we're talking about the Northwest Angle, one of the things that's new since COVID, they brought back the um, remote area border crossing permit, which is known as the RABC. And what that is, is that if you're going to be traveling in a remote area like the Northwest Angle into Canada often and touching land, rather than calling in, you can get an RABC permit for $30 a year. It used to be you had to get that RABC permit and get it in person. Well, now you can get it all online for yeah. 30 bucks. And now, you know, it makes it so that when you want to go into Canada from the U.S. and touch land, it's way easier. So some of the people that come to the Northwest Angle and fish the Ontario side and, and like doing shore lunches or they maybe go to a resort and have lunch up there or or whatever the case might be, then it's it's much easier. So again, just another another thing to know that is another, um, I guess, sign of progress from from COVID. 
Yeah, and uh, I, I think it takes about a month or so to get that done. So if you are going to do it, you need to apply for it pretty quick. We just did it for a, another trip to Canada that we've got to take. Um, so it's pretty simple to do online, but you do need to make sure you give yourself enough time to, to get, get them uh, get it processed in time for your trip up there. Joan, if people want more information about planning a trip to Lake of the Woods, what should they do? You know what? Check out our website, and that is lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Live Target, the leader in Match the Hatch, is back with new lures that also match the action. Introducing the Live Craw. The Live Craw is irresistible to bass, walleye, and other freshwater species. FTAC's winner, the Ultimate Frog, looks and acts just like a swimming frog. With an exposed Ultra Point Mustad hook and replaceable legs, the Ultimate Frog has two styles, two sizes, and eight colors. And iCast and FTAC's winner, the Live Shrimp, mimics a fleeing shrimp for saltwater anglers. Coming soon from Live Target. Devil's Lake is legendary, and this summer has been legendary for walleyes. Don't miss out. Call Haybell Heights Campground and Resort today to book one of their modern cabins on East Bay. The cabins are furnished with a full bathroom, kitchen, and all the amenities like high-speed internet and are clean following CDC guidelines. Staying at Haybell Heights gives you full access to a private boat launch, fish cleaning station, and beach area. Learn more at haybellheights.com. That's haybellheights.com. Plan your trip to legendary Devil's Lake today. This is Sporting Journal Radio. I'm Brett Amundsen. Thanks for tuning in on the network. By demand, sportingjournalradio.com or by watching this on YouTube. Dan Amundsen and David Eckhart are with us as well here. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Great. Uh, all righty. Yeah. Last year in Branson, when we were there in September, Dan, yep. we uh, we got to interview a bunch of people for the show and meet a bunch of people. We were there for the Glow Conference. And uh, we met somebody there that, 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 I mean, we had some good interviews. I don't want to knock the interviews that we did with anybody, anybody else that were there, but nobody else gave us walleye research, which was some of the most interesting stuff that I think that we, we got while we were down there. And that was with Ali Shakur, who joins us once again on the show. Ali, how you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Always appreciative of the uh, opportunity to come on and do a little talking about some fishing. So you, you come from an interesting background because you're a biologist, yet you're also a tournament angler. So I, I probably could come up with questions for you every week because I feel like that's, uh, I mean, I, I feel like you have a, you'd have an edge over some of the other anglers in the tournament because you can think like a fish a little bit and understand what they're doing down there. Has that, has that helped you out in the tournaments, you think? Um, no, man, these guys, <laughs> I wish it would give me a leg up, but you know, the guys that I fish against on the, you know, a couple different circuits, if you, if you mess up, make the wrong decision, drop the wrong fish or something, you, you're in trouble. They're absolute hammers, but you know, I, I, it's, it's giving me some shortcuts. I think when I'm pre-fishing and trying to figure out some things or going to a new body of water, I have one in place really high on a couple of terms, I think based off of some knowledge that maybe I gleaned from some literature reviews or some of the stuff that I've seen raising walleye. So, um, you know, it, it kind of adds another dimension to, uh, to my preparation. Last time we talked, you were doing some research, I think on algae blooms or blue green mm -hmm. algae. Mm -hmm. Um, has there been any more research come out about that or, or do we, do you know any more? Yeah, I'm, I'm still, um, you know, kind of repeating, doing some replicates. So, you know, for, for those who didn't hear I'm so I'm taking walleye eggs that I'm getting from Beta Knock and exposing them to microcystis, which is one of the main mat forming uh, species of blue-green algae in Lake Erie. Um, taking a look at things like um, egg survival, hatch success, um, lipid content of larval walleye is kind of a proxy for body condition, daily growth rates. So I'm exposing them to environmentally relevant levels of microcystis, uh, and they are toxin producing. 
uh, and a couple of other algae. And, you know, we're seeing some, some effects um, on survival and hatch success. Um, so there's some interesting um, interactions going in, going on. Now, now beyond that, I've actually started doing some other stuff on Erie in the same vein, which is uh, we're using uh, hydroacoustics. So I have this large, about a five or six foot airplane type vessel, and it has four large transducers on it, just like you're using to catch fish, uh, 400, 200, 110, and 70 kilohertz. And we're mapping subsurface concentrations of microcystis and also mapping uh, fish community distributions, both inside and outside of the bloom. Um, then we're also doing some stuff like uh, sampling zooplankton, prey fish, and then putting acoustic telemetry, that is the tracking data from, from fish, to get a snapshot of how fish are utilizing that bloom because of some of those toxins that are produced and because of some of the possible environmental impacts. So the research is kind of expanded a little bit, and I'm really excited in the direction that we're heading. So are you finding that, I mean, do these walleyes just kind of bounce in and out of it? Is it just from them going from point A to point B? Are they, are they following it? Is there something in them that they're feeding on or what's their relationship to these blooms? Well, you know, a lot of, so, so the bloom sets up basically in, in July or so in the far Western basin, Maumee Bay, basically. Um, and at that point, most of the majority of the larger trophy sized walleye have migrated towards the eastern basin. They're following some cooler water and doing what they do every year. But there are some some other species that still hang around. There's a lot of walleye still, just the, the majority of the larger fish are gone. So they will transit right through it. Um, there's some unpublished DNR, uh, DNR data from uh, out of Ohio showing that some of the larger walleye were actually using the edge of the bloom as cover, right? People think uh -oh. that there's no cover on the Great Lakes and it's featureless. So they were using the edges. That could be a, a thing where they're following bait fish that are using the edge. We're not really sure. Hopefully some of this data that I'm putting together will show that. But they but they will use the bloom for different uh, purposes at different times of the year. So is that is that you know is that water pretty clear? Would they use that also because it for walleyes being sensitive to light, it'd be a little bit darker there, or is it more cover for ambush locations? Uh, it, it'd be a little bit of both. I would I would imagine. Um, you know, in, in low light situations, because of the way walleye vision works, um, they have the upper hand on prey species. So, with you know water that's super turbid or super you know there's high turbidity, it's really dirty. Um, they'll have that, but also it's going to give them some cover from sunlight. Um, but again, they could be drawn to that edge because the bait fish are using it or zooplankton are drawn to it and the bait fish are coming in to feed on zooplankton and then the walleye. So, you know, there's never a, you know, nothing happens in a vacuum where one species decides to do something. You have this, what they call a trophic cascade where, you know, everything that happens um, is influenced by something in the food web, either above or below, and sometimes both at the same time. So a lots of really interesting interactions that are going on out there. What was that picture that you just pulled up there, Dan? Can you explain what we're looking at in this? Uh, do you still have it or did you get rid of it? That, yeah, this picture. Yeah, so, so, so this is a picture. This isn't like actually what, how shows how extensive it can get, but what you're seeing here, up on Lake St. Clair in the upper left-hand side, that's a lot of mud kind of coming down, chalky water. We probably had a big blow. Um, the Detroit River is pumping that same water into the far western basin to the left on that picture. All of that green that you're seeing is a harmful algal bloom or an algal bloom, Wow. You know, mainly consisting of, of microcystis. So it's going to stretch from the far western basin, Monroe, Michigan, um, out past Cleveland. This looks like it's going all the way out to Geneva or Ashtabula near the Pennsylvania line. 
Um, so we're talking about hundreds of miles of lake that is covered by that bloom. Um, it has impacts on drinking water. At one point, uh, southeastern lower Michigan, northwestern Ohio, uh, about half a million people lost, lost their drinking water for about a week um, due to this bloom. Um, it's affecting property values because it's washing up on shorelines and, and different things. And so, you know, then there's the ecological issue. So it's a really a, a multi-pronged problem that, you know, a lot of people are really starting to take a look at. But it, it's an extensive problem and it stretches for a good part of the lake. Um, there's also some things that come from that. So when that bloom sets up in the Western Basin, at this latitude, we have primarily westerly winds. Um, so it blows to the central basin and then it dies. And when it sinks to the bottom, it starts to decompose, right? And so decomposition con consumes oxygen. So what happens is you have these areas that set up, they're called dead zones. So, so fish that may have lived on the bottom that are really sensitive to oxygen are, are starting to move and it kind of cr creates a squeeze. There's a loss of habitat. Some fish are, are not as sensitive like round gobies. They can survive in just about any conditions out there. Um, but it, it can cause issues. Um, yellow perch have been kind of on the ropes. Um, a lot of us, a lot of people are finding that yellow perch are actually starting to suspend where they may have been demersal in the past and living on the bottom. They're kind of feeding higher in the water column. So again, I talked about this trophic cascade and these different trophic interactions. It just doesn't happen with the actual organisms, but it happens with other factors such as uh, harmful algal blooms also. What's causing that uh, out there? What's causing that blue-green blue -green algae? So it, uh, the, the, the research, the literature, um, Gary Fonestil has some really good work on this early on, talks about um, springtime rain uh, in the far western basin through the Maumee River watershed. The Maumee River has the largest um, sediment load of any Great Lakes tributary, and it comes to a lot of agricultural um, eggs. Okay. Egg runoff and then. So, yeah, so you have a lot of uh, fertilizer, phosphorus, and nitrogen. Um, then you have some stuff later in the season or, or even early on where you have some municipal runoff. A lot of areas have combined sewage uh, storm water overflows. So when heavy rainfall events, they'll start to release sewage, sometimes raw sewage, into the Detroit Oof. River and Sandusky, and that is just fuel for the fire. Um, and that will fuel these blooms also. So there's a couple, again, again, there's a couple of different things that in can impact um, the occurrence and severity of these harmful algal blooms. We deal with that a lot in Minnesota. Uh, I, I think a lot of our lakes have it. Um, I don't know. I don't know of any, I've never heard of anything that big uh, before that, that extensive of a bloom, but we obviously deal with it here and, and having dogs that like to swim when it gets real hot in the middle of summer like that, my dogs, I usually do everything I can to keep them out of there because it can be very toxic to dogs. So, uh, being in Minnesota with the amount of walleye anglers here, if your research ends up telling us that, uh, walleyes are suffering some sort of ailment from these toxic, uh, algal blooms, there's going to be something, something's going to get done about that around here. I think. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say that they're suffering any ailments because of it. I don't, I don't want to, you know, throw out right, a, a right. false alarm at all. Um, just, it's just something that needs to be, um, you know, it's an unknown. Um, you know, we, we've took, taken a look at some fish to see if microcystis cystin, the toxin, is making it into the flesh. So, you know, a lot of times it's filtered out by the kidney or the liver. So, you know, we hadn't found anything where it's actually making it into the flesh. There was some studies on Grand Lake St. Mary's, which is just outside the Lake Erie watershed, where um, it was making it into the flesh of crappies. Now, that's not to say that that's happening in Minnesota for everybody to stop eating crappies. Um, um, but on that same lake, you mentioned dogs. Um, 
one of the years they had a really bad bloom. Some of the there was some some people who lost family pets who were allowed to swim in that water that was um, you know really thick with uh, cyanobacteria. So there are some some concerns with pets, immunocompromised people, um, people with kidney issues. Um, it can be impactful. So these are just kind of things to to think of and, and, and be mindful moving forward with this type of thing. Well, speaking of. Uh uh, the cyanobacteria, I we actually have some research about that coming up on the new Prairie Sportsman episode that's airing this Sunday on Pioneer PBS, Sunday night at 7.30, or you can watch it on the Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel uh, starting at noon on Sunday. We also have uh, some National Archery in the Schools program news from a, one of the schools in Minnesota just has just been dominating at Nationals, and uh, we'll tell you who that is and do a little bit of do a story on them. And uh, we've got some other, oh, uh, foraging for milkweed. Have you guys ever eaten milkweed before? Nope. No. Uh, Ali, have you have you ever foraged for milkweed before? <laughs> I have. I foraged for a lot of things, but never milkweed. Yeah, I didn't really. I mean, I guess I'd heard of it. Apparently, it's it can be toxic unless you prepare yeah. it the right way. So that immediately is going to make me go. Eh, I'll go for the yeah. asparagus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Nicole Zempel, who you've done spent some time with David, yep. uh, foraging for mushrooms, uh, she has got a fast forage segment on milkweed coming up on the new Prairie Sportsman uh, episode. Cool. On Sunday, it's the last one of the season, actually. So, all right, uh, Ali Shakur is our guest. We got to take a quick break, but we'll come back come back with more walleye research right here. Northern Minnesota's Walleye Factory is a year-round world-class fishing destination. The perfect getaway this summer is just a short drive to Lake of the Woods. Fish Big Traverse Bay, the Rainy River, or visit the unique Northwest Angle. To catch big fish, you have to go where the big fish are. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. That's lakeofthewoodsmn.com. more than 1,000 lakes in Otter Tail County? Yep, and I'm gonna fish as many as I can. I'm an outdoorsy otter. Nothing beats a full day of fishing for me. The lakes of Otter Tail County give me plenty of options to lower my boat and snag the perfect catch. Not an outdoorsy otter? No problem. Otter Tail County has something for everyone. You just need to find your inner otter. To find your inner otter, go to ottertaillakescountry.com. We're back. This is Sporting Journal Radio. I'm Brett Amundsen. Thanks for tuning in. Wherever you're getting this uh, show, thank you. Maybe you're watching this on YouTube along with Dan Amundsen and David Eckhart. And our guest right now, Ali Shakur, uh, biologist and tournament angler. Uh, are you in Are you in Michigan, Ali, or where are you at? I am in Michigan. I'm just outside Detroit. I'm about 15 minutes from uh, Detroit River. The walleye runs going on. So a lot, lots of good fishing going on up here right now. Now, obviously you have good fishing there, but you know about Minnesota. You probably know about some of our walleye lakes here. And I wanted to pick your brain about one thing in particular. And I, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the show and uh, Red Lake this year is one of our big walleye lakes here in Minnesota. They're actually allowing you to keep more fish. They raise it to what, five fish five. now? Yeah, five from four. And, and it's five with one over 20. There it is. You can read about it on sportingjournalradio.com. Last year it was four, this year it's five with one over 20. And they say it's because of the 2018, 2019 class is super abundant, they said. And a lot of those fish are now 15 inches. They're gonna start spawning. And they say that too many spawning walleyes in the system is not necessarily a good thing on Red Lake. And immediately my brain is like, hmm, 
sure seems like a, a, it'd be a good problem to have. Once, once you start talking about uh, forage and you know the carrying capacity of the lake and things like that, you can you can have uh, it's what you probably what you were talking about in the last segment, the trophic cascade. Things get out of whack a little bit, and then you end up having issues. Walleyes don't get as big. There's not as uh-huh. much food. They start cannibalizing. So uh, is that something? I mean, have you have you heard about the Red Lake deal, or is that something you d- you've you've seen in other places? I have heard about Red Lake. Um, you know, we've seen it here um, on Saginaw Bay. We used to go up there and ice fish, and you'd have to go through literally 100 fish to catch five or six keepers through the ice. So what Michigan DNR was, they dropped the limit from 15 inches to 13 inches mm. and dropped the um, and raised the limit from five fish per angler to eight fish per angler in hopes of taking some of those fish out of the system to release some of that pressure, allow those fish to get bigger and everything. So... Um, it worked a lot sooner than they think, than they thought it would. I, I think it's something else. I think the fish just kind of showed back up, uh, but there are a lot. The fishing has really improved up there. So there, there is. Um, I think it's a good, a good train of thought to think along those lines. Um, you know what happens is, is classic density dependence, right? The more individuals you have of the same species in an enclosed area, there's going to be more competition for mates. Uh, for food resources. In the case of Red Lake, Upper Red Lake, um, with uh, all those spawners, there's going to be competition for even spawning habitat. Um, you know, and there's things in the literature that do show that um, if you have too many spawners in a system or in a confined area, that production will go down. Um, and again, that's, that's classic density dependence that happens with people, right? Except we're able to fight wars over things that yeah. we may not be able to get to get locally, but you know, fish can't do that or, or deer can't do that. So they respond, it's a, it's a biological response. There's gonna be more disease, there's gonna be less production, there's gonna be less survival of offspring. So I think that's a, that's a, it's a viable um, strategy to, to keep that population um, going. You know, there's also a thing with harvest um, there's numbers you want to hit. Um, you can take a lot of fish out of a system. Um, so, you know, anytime you're talking about population growth and, and harvest, whether it's trees, whether it's fish or something else, there's a thing called MSY, that's maximum sustainable yield. And when you, that's graphed out and you look at it, there's, there's a point where you can harvest all the way down to that point and that um, population is still viable. And that's actually half the population size. And Every DNR office that I've talked to or I've been to and it's done intentionally are always on the conservative side. They never come close to MSY, but that is to kind of keep the population where it's constantly growing. So again, it's a very viable strategy to help uh, with the, uh, the population on Upper Red Lake. Well, it's good to see that population growing, and there's there's one lake in your backyard that just boggles. Every time I think about how many walleyes and how many big walleyes are in it, uh, it just boggles my mind. And, and granted, it's a great lake, but uh, Erie is just in, insane walleye fishery out there. I know some guys from here just went out and took another trip, and 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 the amount of big walleyes that you're that people keep out of that, like it it just. I, it's like a, a knife twisting every time you see a 10 pound walleye get filleted, you know, and it's like, what in the, what are you guys doing? Like, it's amazing yeah. that that lake can sustain that. Yeah, we, we get that a lot. Um, you know, I, personally, I don't, I don't mess with big fish anymore. I, I made a decision. It's not scientifically based or anything is that I try not to keep, especially on the river. I try not to keep anything over 22 inches because of the fishery here that can get incredibly tough. I have a charter captain buddy that I fish with and we'll be out all day trying to catch six fish under 22 inches. 
Um, you know, a lot of a lot of fish, seven, eight, nine, ten pounds, get eaten around here. Those are actually eaters at, time, at certain times of the year, at certain certain years. So yeah, it's an incredible fishery. Um, a lot of a lot of fishermen from other places will kind of give fishermen from here grief when they see these posts on Facebook about yeah. all the big fish are being taken. And my suggestion is, come to Lake Erie and fish. Just come see for yourself, and you'll you'll understand that. You know, I, I've had days literally where we'd have four men out, we'd have a four man limit and small fish is seven pounds. Um, <laughs> Jeez, you know, yeah, it could, it could be, I've had, I've had multiple 12 pounds. I had one day in March, uh, maybe five, six years back, I had a couple 13s in the same day and then a 12 and, you know, like a 60 pound bag of fish for my top five. And, Ooh, you know, so the, the big fish here at times are just, is, is absolutely insane. It's an interesting fishery, you know, and we obviously have Lake Superior here, which I, I fished a little bit, um, not not a lot, but Great Lakes fishing can can be a little bit different. There's some similarities, of course, but when you put, put that picture back up, Dan, or maybe that other picture that we saw from over there, <laughs> how, oh, yeah, how, yeah. Often, how often does it look like this when you're out there? This time of year, this the, the boat traffic, the fishermen, that's, that's pretty light right there. Wow. Um, it, it, it gets quite a bit more boat traffic than this um every weekend it's like this a nice day throughout the week i was just down collecting doing some sampling in the city of detroit on on the water today um at one of the parks and it's 30 knot winds and raining and there were boats out there fishing still so it's it's uh, pretty much an everyday occurrence almost and how often do the freighters come through yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's it's constant freighter traffic um I see chicken being played out there every fishing trip. Oh boy! Um, you know, which I don't get. There, there can be a fine. You know, if you can impede their progress, I think it's like six hundred bucks or maybe a little bit more now. But you know, funny story. I had a buddy who was down there fishing the river, jigging the Detroit River, and a big, you know, a big thousand footer probably freighter, seven hundred at least, was coming through, and he waited. He was on a good bite. He waited and he waited, and finally he decided to start up his main to get out of the way, and the main would not fire. And he oh, no. did not have a kicker, and his trolling motor was not strong enough to move him out of the way. So with the freighter bearing down on him, pushing that wall of water that I'd imagine looked like it was 20 feet tall, he and his fishing buddy actually had to dive out of the boat into the Detroit River what? Um, to avoid being run down by that freighter. I mean, you think of something that big, they're not stopping. It's no. impossible. So, uh, you know, luckily they made it out. There's a lot of there's a lot of current. There's a lot of undertows. It can be extremely dangerous. But, yeah. Um, you do. I see some pretty sketchy things out there with people trying to catch fish with those freighters coming in. But you know, it, it can be uh, <laughs> it can be pretty interesting to see. Mike, so, so what's the difference? So we deal with a lot of barge traffic here, and barges can move a lot of water. And people always talk about watch out for the barge water. I've never fished the Great Lakes. What's the difference between like a barge wake and a freighter wake, like yeah. a, a Great Lakes ship wake? Yeah, the barge. So you know, I do Mississippi River and, mm-hmm. and Illinois River, and those barges will move. Um, the wakes are a lot bigger coming off those yeah. freighters, and they're a little bit sneakier. You you can see, you can see them coming off of a barge. If you're running opposite direction of a freighter, it's coming toward upriver, and you're going downriver. Surprisingly, it's hard to see them. I remember being in the boat with Max Wilson. Um, he had just gotten his boat, had a 400 horse Verado, and we were running downriver, and we didn't see the wave. And we went airborne, and I don't mean barely. I mean we were <laughs> we caught serious. I mean Tony Hawk would have been proud of that. Um, <laughs> my back still hurt, but I'm still two inches shorter after that landing. Um, but yeah, th- 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 those waves can be a little a little bit more treacherous than just the barge traffic, sure. especially when you have two freighters 
going in the opposite direction. There's oh, a spot gosh. that I love, Jig Musky, a Jig Musky down there, and the Coast Guard will, will actually come up when two freighters are going opposite direction because it's a narrow part of the river, and when that happens, it's just it turns into a giant washing machine. Oof. Dang. What are Yikes. you what are you jigging for muskies with over there? Um, so I'm, I'm using uh Bondi baits. Um John Bondi out of uh Ontario makes them. Um they're seven ounces of a, a big kind of flutter bait with a number six um blade it's on the back. Popular um, for lake trout bait. bait. Yeah. But very similar. Um some of the big ten inch Titan tubes I'll use, Fuzzy does it, some other stuff, but there's a fantastic uh, vertical jigging bite. You know, I get multiple fish up over 50 inches out there every year. Um, vertical jigging jigging for so, Oh, yeah. Wow. So it's, again, you know, we talk about it being the, the walleye capital world, but Lake St. Clair and Detroit. Oh, don't say that around Joe Henry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're going to arm wrestle over that one. Um, you know, the, the smallmouth fishing, it's it's really, you know, if you're thinking about coming to Detroit just or, or Detroit River, Lake St. Clair, Lake Erie, you don't have to just be caught up on the walleye fishing. It's a fantastic multi. Um, there you go, giant smallmouth. I got on, on uh, Lake Erie about a week and a half ago. We caught multiples over six pounds. Um, the the pan fishing is incredible. We get bluegill over a pound on Lake St. Clair, big perch. It's, it's just, it's it's heaven. It's like a sportsman's dream. And I know Minnesota is as well. I'm a big fan of Minnesota. I love it up there. It's God's country. Um, you, you know, but that's the thing about it. People always ask me which place is better, and it's a hard comparison because they're all just so fantastic and they're so beautiful to go to. It's just what do you like? Um, they're yeah. all they're all just just the best to me. I love them all. So when we were talking about Red Lake a couple of weeks ago, uh, Upper Red and the the changes that are going on there, I was doing some research and I learned a little bit about what was going on over in uh, Lake Huron and also on Erie about the, the the spawn, where these walleyes go to spawn and where they travel. And I think it was on Huron, they those walleyes will travel f- uh, a 500 mile round trip uh, from where they spawn to where they feed. It's 250 miles north and back. Is that right? Yes, it's not just Lake Huron. It happens everywhere. Um, I'm on the Detroit River I mentioned earlier, and the fish here, and, and this is the interesting thing. I'm, I'm going to get kind of off track just for a second. I want to talk about how you can affect a fishery and not really be aware that you're affecting it. So here on the Detroit River, we have Lake Erie fish that come here to spawn. We have Lake St. Clair fish that come here to spawn. We have fish from Saginaw Bay. We probably have fish from Sault Ste. Marie or from Georgian Bay or North Channel. Wow. So these fish make these longs in the same thing. Saginaw Bay is going to have Lake Erie fish and Sault Ste. Marie fish. So, so there's this, I call it a mishmash of fish that are, that may live in one place and spawn in another. So you could, you know, Erie's different because you're, you're not really recreational fishing. Fishing is not really going to hurt the population that much, but other places it could. You could go somewhere and catch a bunch of fish, and those fish not be resident to the body of water that you caught them on. They could have you know, made a long migration from somewhere else. Um, and that's something that's going to be elucidated or come to light a little bit more with all the acoustic telemetry data that's going on. But yeah, these fish, um, I have some of the data, you know, messed around a little bit. Um, you know, there, there's some um, walleye. There was one walleye that I saw in an animation for it that spawned in the Detroit River. And seven days later was in Erie, Pennsylvania, which is a couple hundred miles away. Jeez. Wow. Um, <laughs> so they do make these long range spawning spawning uh runs to get to their spawning grounds and back to their summer haunts and everything so yep they do make them they make them it's pretty incredible um 
and it, it's kind of interesting to see. And, and, and if I can, I'll, I'll keep going. Yeah, go um, for it. Those types of spawning movements are applicable to you, even if you don't live on the Great Lakes, right? Um, I say it all the time when I do a seminar, a walleye is a walleye is a walleye. Whether it's on Lake Erie or it's on, in a farm pond in Iowa or it's in a Canadian Shield Lake or it's in Lake Columbia, they all do the same thing. The only thing that really changes is sometime timing, um, but magnitude changes. So, you know, one of the times that walleye are really vulnerable to being caught is during the spawn, right? They're going to go sometimes on predictable routes to get to their spawning grounds. They're all going to congregate on a reef or on a shoreline or on a river, and then they're going to leave on very similar routes that they came in. So you can kind of figure this out over time and, and, and kind of head them off at the pass, right? Um, they may make a 200-mile spawning run here or 300-mile spawning run. On your lake back home, it may be two miles. It may be 100 yards, um, but the movements are still there. And another thing I say all the time is that the only thing that changes is scale and magnitude. So I'll go and I'll give an, you know, I'll talk about Erie or I'll talk about another body of water and guys will say, well, that's different. And I'll say, it's, it's exactly the same. You're just, you're not thinking about it the right way. It's the exact same movement. It's the exact same interactions, food web interactions. The only thing that changes is scale and magnitude. So when you see those and you read those studies, it is immediately applicable to wherever it is that you fish. If the species are the same and, you know, water temperatures could vary a little bit, but you know, <laughs> another thing, not to always say what I like to say, but principles over particulars, right? You can talk about what baits to pull and how whatever whatever the case may be, you need to get to the root of why the fish do what they do. And that's something that I've really tried to do with the science background. You know, why was that walleye right there, right then? You know, then it becomes repeatable, not just to that body of water, but it becomes repeatable and applicable to other bodies of water as well. So one one difference that I that I will ask, and this is not, you know from an angler's perspective, yeah, that that walleye is reacting the same whether it's in Erie or you know Red Lake or whatever. But it, if you're in a small body of water, you can manage that fish a lot easier in that water. But when you're talking about the, the Great Lake system and a Detroit River, which is uh, connected to so many other bodies of water, how do you manage? for that walleye population when you've got so many coming from so many different areas congregating and then going back out. How, how is that done over there? Um, you know, lots and lots of math. <laughs> <laughs> Basically it's very, very quantitative. Um, you know, but they, you know, these guys have a great understanding of population dynamics and fishery science and what goes into this. They use some pretty powerful statistical methods to help figure this stuff out. But then we also have these long-term data sets, right? I have, I don't know, 30 years worth of trawl data on my laptop that I'm, that I'm on right now where I can go in and look at all the prey fish species and, and, and walleye hatches and everything. And so you can, over time, get a real good handle on what these numbers mean and what it means for population growth or population decline. You're never going to know exactly. And that's, and that's why earlier I spoke on um, yield, maximum sustainable yield and, and harvest levels and everything. That's why DNRs and people who set these types of limits are extremely conservative when they set those limits because you don't want to take it to the end, to the edge of the envelope, right? Because if you're wrong, 
now you're you're in deep trouble with the population and, and the fishery and at that point with the public. So they're extremely conservative with those numbers. So they never get close to being on, on the edge. And that allows for the population to continue to grow and, and provide a, a fantastic resource for the people who want to get out and fish. So here in Minnesota, we deal with bodies of water that are borders uh, that are, have shared borders. So, you know, we'll deal with Wisconsin on the Mississippi. You'll deal with South Dakota on, on uh, mm-hmm. you know, Big Stone and some other bodies of water. And then, of course, have to deal with Canada with the Rainy River and Lake of the Woods uh, where you're at. I mean, you're talking about multiple states and and probably and multiple Canada. Or probably at least what just Ontario up there, I suppose. Yeah, so Lake, Lake, Lake Erie is going to be Ontario, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York. Jeez, um, how, how you know, well do they play together? Extremely, hmm. extremely well. So there's a Lake Erie task force where there's a representative from each state, their DNRs, and this is where they get together. They take a look at the trawl data that's been collected. They make the decisions. They set what's called a TAC, TAC, total allowable catch. So Michigan gets a percentage of the catch. Ohio makes up the most of the shoreline, so they get a larger percentage of the catch, and then so on and so forth down the line. And they've worked out a formula where whatever that tack is, um, and, that, and that information is freely available to the public. It's nothing that's, that's, that's held close to the vest. You can Google it. I think it's up on the screen now. You can, you can take a look at it. So, you know, they have a, a formula that says if the total allowable catch is this, then the daily limit is six fish per person. If it's this, then it's eight fish per person. So it's it's pretty set in stone. They, they've had a great handle on the, on the population, what they do here. They do a fantastic job. And they play uh, – man, it, it's tough to think of anywhere else where the interaction between the different states and provinces is, is as good as it is in this area. I could just be biased because I'm around it all the time, and I know some of the people who sit on those committees, but they do a, a great job of working together to manage the resource. How much do you follow then what goes on over here? And is there anything you've seen that's been done here and not there or vice versa that you think could have could have been done or maybe could work in one of the other places? Um, I, I follow as much as I can. You know, even though I'm, I'm pretty busy, I just, you know, I love fishing. I love fisheries. I love the science. Um, and, I, and I love to see what's going on in other places and what works and may may not work. Um, I'm not going to say that I've seen things that may not work because, again, I'm looking from afar. Here I have numbers I can look at, and I don't have that in other places, and I'm I'm never going to undercut someone who has dedicated their life to managing or to resource because it's it's not an easy job to do um, because you got to deal with the science side, and then there's the public public relations side that goes into that. Which may be harder. (laughs) Especially here. in my research, I, I try to stay away from people. I'd rather work, walk to a room full of fish. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's too many dynamics dealing with people. Fish, if I feed them and give them the right water temperature, I have a party in the room every day. Um, but, you know, I'm intrigued by the use of, by the use of slot limits in other places. Yeah. Um, there are no slots anywhere around here in the state of Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, I'm pretty sure, when it comes to walleye. Um, and it's very popular in Minnesota, the Dakotas, you know, you see, you know, one over 28 or, you know, you got to throw back fish between 20 and 28. And there's always been some, there's been some discussions between people that, eh, it may not work. Maybe it's a, it's a, it's a person, people thing, a sociological type thing. And they want to see something being done. Um, cause you, you, you start to get into the biology. They say we're, 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 we're targeting or we're, we're, 
trying to protect the spawners. And that can be debatable depending on the body of water. But I'm always intrigued by the use of slot limits in other places and the fact that it, it has not been used here. Even when the population was low in, in the late 90s, there was a time on in the, the Michigan Waters Lake Erie where they actually shut down walleye fishing. You had to run oh, over wow. the border to Ohio to keep walleye early in the year. That was, you know, 98, 99 or so. So there are there's been times where the walleye population has been low and maybe a slot if they are as advertised may have worked, but it was never used here. So again, that's not to say that people are wrong for using them. Just always interested in the in the dichotomy between the two. There there's one on Lake of the Woods, and I've been saying for a few years that I I think that's what's given Lake of the Woods such uh, uh, an abundance of trophy fish. I mean, e- either they were already there and people just weren't catching them. But when you talk to the resort owners, and there's a lot of them up at Lake of the Woods, back in the 80s, if somebody caught a six or seven pound walleye, they were bringing it back to the dock. They were, you know, they were slapping it up. They were taking pictures of it, high-fiving. It was a, it was a huge deal. And, you know, a lot of times now when these guides, these, you know, charter boats are out with six guys on them, half the time they're not even taking pictures of six pounders anymore because they're catching so many of them. So that slot is uh, 19 and a half to to 28. Yeah, I think so. And I I was actually just going to mention, I watched the Prairie Sportsman episode when we were fishing at Arneson's. We referenced it uh, earlier in the show, I think. Um, And you brought up the stat. I can't remember it exactly because you and I aren't the greatest at remembering stats like that. But before that, (laughs) before that slot limit was in place, I think the average size of a walleye on Lake of the Woods was like 18, 19 inches. And now it was up into the 20s, you know, 24, 26 or something. Maybe not average, but it was something like that. Like the the size of the walleyes increased drastically once that slot was put in place. And, and yeah, now we talk to guys at Lake of the Woods. They're like, ah, it was an okay day of fishing. We only got like two 28s and a 27 and a half. It's like, (laughs) oh, oh yeah, bad, terrible day of fishing. You know, so it's, it's definitely from our perspective has been a a benefit. And and it's, it's interesting. I didn't know that there've been no, that that's kind of a unique thing to maybe our area. I didn't, I didn't know that. So that's, that's interesting to know about. Not really unique to the area. So again, I think it's just a tool that really hasn't been used here, but again, we're talking about Great Lakes fisheries versus even though those lakes are extremely large, they don't, they don't cover the area that Lake Erie and some of the other lakes, you know, the Great Lakes, the Great Lakes cover. Um, Also, you're talking about up that way. Those are colder, more oligotrophic or or, uh, nutrient poor lakes, whereas the Lake Lake Erie, Lake St. Clair, Saginaw Bay are pretty nutrient rich. Um, So So they're growing faster. Yeah, that, you know, it's it's. In Lake Erie, it's two years to 15 inches. Wow, um, so you know, I had I had fish that I had in the that I had in the tanks that I was doing some stuff with. They were um, hatched in the spring, and by September, October, they're six to nine inches already. Wow, six to ten, somewhere up to ten inches already. In the, you know, in the first six six eight months, six seven months. So yeah, they're extremely fast growth rates. But you know, with, with those, it, it does stuff. It, it it shifts. You know, age at maturity. Um, it shifts when they spawn, when those when those things happen, um, and you know, and they are protecting a, a good swath of, of spawning, which kind of goes into something else with, with keeping big fish. We talked about the big fish that are being keep, kept here, and we'll throw this out there also talking about that. Um, again, people get get grief for keeping those big fish. They say, "Oh, let them go, let them grow. They'll, they'll pass on their genetics." First of all, walleye fishing isn't QDM, right? 
Um, it's not electro, you know. Oh man, we're gonna take that one out of the herd because his right side is messed. His G two is all out of whack. You know, it doesn't work that way. That way, you know, there's some studies that show that larger fish will have larger eggs or eggs with more lipid or fats, and it it, it can improve survival. But there's not really a big fish gene. Um, so you know, when you when you keep those larger fish, that fish is 12, 15 years old. She's got a couple of years left to contribute to the gene pool. That 18 inch fish that's three years old, she's got 12, 15 more years to spawn. So which is the better fish to keep? The 30 incher who's big, who you want to pass on those genes or the three year old that's got 12 to 15 more years of spawning yeah. to contribute to the, to the system, you know? And that goes, ties into those slots and the decisions to keep fish i'm not going to say which one is best for you because you paid for your license and if the system can support it by all means do what the, the license right. allows you to do um but and my um, my philosophy on that has been um usually a 19 and a half or 20 inch fish you know yeah. i'm not gonna I, I haven't kept anything over 20 for a long time uh, but even even that 30 incher you know if i you know i've only i think i've only caught one actually over 30 but uh oh you got an What's yes, that? we do. <laughs> yes, we do. Let's I've, book it right now. I've, yeah, yeah, for sure. I've caught a, I've caught a number in the upper 20s, so, though, and and even though they may be near the end, I still have a hard time keeping them because, A, you know, catch and release. I'm a firm believer in catch and release. I've seen a lot of fish get caught again, and somebody else – Somebody else that maybe hasn't caught a 30 might have the chance to catch that again that year or maybe the next year before that fish, you know, dies of uh, natural causes. So that's that's where I'm at on it. But yeah. um, I'm the same way. I let a lot of big fish go unless they're hooked really bad. I know they're not going to yeah. make it, which, which I hate to see. But but here and, and I'll give you an example. So there's a tournament we used to love to fish, Pongrats in Ohio, and it is a length tournament. Um. I never got it. I never won it, but I took second a couple times, um, and it it took 150 inches to win for five fish. Um, but you'd see at that tournament, you know, if it was 80 boats, you'd easily see I don't know a couple hundred fish over 30 inches. Jeez. Um, so you're yeah, saying I, it, you had to catch five 30 inch fish to win? To win. Wow. So the last one I fished before they stopped having it, I had 151 inches for five fish, and I was second. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh! We, 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 they, it wasn't a weight tournament, but the, the the director was curious because I had some tanks, and he, he weighed, and my, my top five fish were 52 pounds, seven ounces. Um, so yeah, that's so that's just kind of the class of what you're dealing with. You know, I've had tournaments over here, Detroit River Tournament, Masters of Walleye Circuit. Uh, we weighed 47, 48 pounds on day one. We're in ninth place. You know, just <laughs> so that brings up another question I wanted to ask you as a biologist that's also a tournament angler how do you feel about weigh-ins how do you feel about putting a 10 pound walleye you know especially if there's no slot limit uh putting a 10 pound walleye in your live well maybe for a couple of hours bringing it in to weigh it in uh what what effect is it going to have on that fish and and would you know to you know to add on to that would anglers be interested in some sort of catch and release type tournament uh, versus doing, you know, is, do people just like their picture up on stage too much? Would they not go for something like that? Or what do you think the future is of tournament angling? It's interesting. You know, I know, I know CPR with the, with the AIM tournaments are, are really big out there in Minnesota, Green Bay, North and South Dakota. 
you know, they, they tried to bring it to Michigan. I actually won one of the first aims here, and it just didn't get the participation. I think guys like to walk across stage with five big fish. Um, but, but I do think there's something to it. Um, and I'm, I'm really not a big fan of taking a live well full of fish for a long ride um, yeah. in, in rough water. I mean, the litter, is, it, it's out there. Earlier in the year when the water's really cool, you know, like it is now, it's in the 40s or 50s. Those fish have a higher survival rate. But if you're talking about in the summertime, June, July, the water's 70 degrees, sometimes touching 80 degrees, you're catching these big fish, you're going to run 40 miles across Lake Erie and four footers and beat the heck out of them and let them go and think, yeah, they may look good swimming off. There is a really, 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 really good chance that none of those fish are going to survive, or very few of them are going to survive for, for a long period of time. Um, and that's well documented in the literature about, about this stuff. So I'm, I'm not a huge fan. Um, I really do think that CPR format tournaments are, are, are the future, especially yeah. for those who are concerned about the resource. Because it's, I don't want to say it's unnecessary, but it, it, it's a lot of stress. You know, Green Bay is one. I, I love Green Bay. I love to go there and fish. Um, and there was a problem with mortality at weigh-in one year at one of the tournaments just because of, water in the bump tanks was too warm and we stood around with fish and they, and they just didn't make it. Now, you know, certain places, Ohio's a mandatory kill state, even bass tournaments. If you come in five fish, those fish, you have to, they're, they're going to die. Um, you know, they, they go to, they fillet them up and take them to food banks. So there's, there's no waste. Um, but not everyone has a resource where they can just make it mandatory that every fish has to be filleted and, and, and given to, you know, food banks. Um, what do you, th I mean, I saw the MWC got moved out of Red Wing this weekend because of the flooding down there flooding. and got moved over to the Pete and well flowage, uh, oh, yeah. st stretch of the Wisconsin river. There's a slot limit there, uh, slot in a one over. How does mm -hmm. that, I mean, when you fish in a tournament, that's got a slot limit on it, how, that's got a weigh in. How do you, how does that affect you as an angler? And do you think there could be a time where if there's going to be a lot of lakes with slots on it, that you would just go to a CPR style tournament and then you could, you could actually register all those fish in the slot. I would love to see CPR try. <laughs> yeah. I avoid slot, slot tournaments like the play. <laughs> <laughs> they are tough. You got to make tough decisions. You know, people don't get it. Like you'll see a, a great angler come in with two or three fish because he played the game of waiting for that big fish to come and it never came. And he could have came in with five, 16 inches and been in decent shape. Um, so I absolutely hate them. It, it adds another dimension, uh, you know, to the thought processes that are already, already pretty tough. But, and I, and I have been saying it myself that in those slot type tournaments and in summertime tournaments, I think that going to a CPR format um, would be very good for the resource. Um, it, I think it's something that a lot of circuits probably need to take a good hard, a, a good hard look at. Um, for that, uh, you know, be, it, it, another thing it'll do with those CPR formats is it's going to showcase the fishery, right? If I'm fishing a slot tournament, I come in with two fish that are 15 inches. It, it looks like there's nothing going on there. Yeah. But if I come in on my card and I have, you know, 10 fish between 22 and 26 inches, if there's a slot in that range, that fishery starting to look pretty good. People are seeing those pictures thinking, oh man, there's really some good fish in there. So Sure, some people may not want to see people drawn to a fishery like that, but it's still a highlight for for that fishery and and, and for tourism in the, in that area. So I think there's a lot of benefits to uh, CPR formats. And when I did fish the the aim, I really enjoyed the format. I I really had a great time, and I and I wish you would come back this this way. 
How did they handle the CPR so that there was, you know, no way to cheat basically for these people? Um, a lot of photos are taken, you know, so we had to take the photograph. We all got the same bump board. You had to take a photo with the fish on the bump board. Um, everything was time stamped. And then you had to take a, a photo holding the fish up and you always use the same side so that if there were any distinguishing mark on the fish, hmm. they'd be able to determine it was the same fish in, in, in every picture. So they were very thorough when it came to safeguards against against cheating in, in, in the aim unless someone really wanted to go off the rails. But I'm not going to speculate on that. I'm kind of going to, you know, leave it with most of the guys I fish with are, are pretty honorable guys. And I never, that, that thought never crossed my mind, but yeah, good, good, good format. Um, some good safeguards. And I'm a big fan of it. Well, you know, nobody ever cheats in fishing tournaments. So. <laughs> Especially yeah. at Lake Erie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that, and I that, think, that. and I mean, weigh-ins are great, but man, length tournaments, I think there's just less room for error there. You're also talking about, you know, a fish could change its weight depending on what it's eaten, you know, day to day. So a, a length can determine a, a bigger fish, so to speak. And, you know, we've been doing this fish donkey style. We've been using yep. the fish donkey amp the last couple of years for our tournament. And it just seems like it's it's pretty much foolproof, you know, with some, yeah. of, the, some of the safeguards they take. So. Yeah, and, 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 I'm, I, and I really like it. The only thing I like to see change is some of the length to weight regressions they use. They're not, you know... They're not really accurate, but that's that's kind of the biologist part of me coming out. Like, there's no oh, way yeah. that was a 54 pound bag, you know. But but still, fantastic format. I'd love to fish aim again, and and you know, just just great for the sport. I think. Well, what's next for you? What do you got coming up? Um. Well, I a uh, couple turn. We're out of Cleveland for the Masters Walleye Circuit in June. I'll be on Green Bay in July. Then I'm gonna go back up to Lake Oahe. We're gonna go do some filming up there. Um. Even though I have Lake Erie here and the Erie Huron Corridor and the, the great walleye fishing, I've really fallen in love with the um, Missouri River, um, Sakakawea, Oahe, Grant oh, yeah. Francis Case. I really, geez, I think it's a really diverse fishery. I really, I really like it. So me and some buds are going to go up there and, you know, make a long weekend out of it, go do some casting, jig the trees, do some stuff. And, you know, I'm going to do a lot of fun fishing this summer, more than I've done in the past couple of years. I'm, you know, I need to slow it down a little bit and kind of, slow down and uh, smell the roses when it comes to my fishing. What are you going to be filming for? Just for fun. We're just going to oh, go okay. up there and just, uh, you know, shoot some content, you know, maybe some stuff for some, for some uh, sponsors. Um, oh, gotcha. you know, recently pick, picked up by St. Croix. So I'll get some content oh, to them nice. um, with their, with their odds. And, um, but yeah, just more just document. And I wish I'd, I've always been in such a hurry that I have not documented much, you know, um, so I just want to do some more documentation and more pictures and kind of showing just the fun side of things. I'll tell you what we've, we now, because of our jobs here, uh, Dan and I, we bring cameras with and film pretty much if we're out hunting and fishing, we're filming it. Uh, sometimes we use it sometimes, most of the time we use it for something. Uh, sometimes if it's really a bad day out there, you might not see anything from it, but yeah. usually we'll get some social content out of it. But I think one of the one of the best parts about it is, yeah, we get to tell stories and show people some cool things, but we get to, we get all those pictures for ourselves now all of yep. a sudden, you know, so we can look back and be like, oh yeah, I remember that day out there. And, you know, you, yeah, you, yeah and, you I, know. and I, and I got to tell you, that's, you're, you're probably a big part of the reason I, I started doing it. So, you know, after we met last year, I started following you all and started looking at the footage and I even showed it to my tournament partner, like, man, that's, that's the goal. That's where it's at. Look at this. This is beautiful. I, you know, I was in Niagara for the Niagara show right after you guys were there. Oh, really? And yeah. And I watched the, the, the footage you had on the, on the river down there. It was gorgeous. 
you know, and I immediately start looking for AV equipment and start, you know, kind of <laughs> thinking, hey, man, like, like I, I want to get there. It's not so much for for followers or whatever, but again, just I'll, I'll have it. I can look back on it and, and just really, I mean, we're blessed to do some things that a lot of people don't get a chance to do and to just kind of let it go by and not really take it all in and enjoy it, I think would be a travesty. So just just start to document that stuff, man. And, and, and again, you all kind of set a high bar for me to kind of <laughs> to, to get there. So so I just wanted to, to let you all know that I'm really a big fan of the stuff you put out. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, that Niagara River, I had no idea what to expect. I'd never been out there before. Uh, and it, it was amazing. It was crazy. And some of the fishing that we did, I mean, being able to fish in that river uh, for lake trout, and steelhead and in some cases we're in six feet of rushing water you know uh and catch some of the hardest fighting fish that you can and it might be 10 15 20 pounds you know hooking into one of those in six eight feet of water that's a pretty fun fight yeah yeah they were they were the fun videos of watching it and and again it just just awesome i I watched them and i I, it felt like i was there you know and that's kind of that's the beauty of it right if you if you really love this stuff i talked about going to hawaii and going these other places you know I want to see it all. If I can't experience it in person to see those kind of videos that are just so vivid and colorful and show, you know, the atmosphere and, you know, what's going on around the water and the, and the entire, everything that goes into a trip, it, it, it takes me there. Right. And, and I, I just, I, I love it. I have a passion for it. And um, it's just, it does something to me to see that, that kind of stuff. So I, you know, if I can do that for someone else or, you know, my children at some point or something, um, I'd, I'd be very extremely happy with that. Ah, well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. And just so you know, once you start going down that rabbit hole of, of camera gear and <laughs> and stuff like that, it doesn't end. You always want to get the next the next best thing. And uh, yeah, my wife's like, uh, I wish you stopped looking at this stuff. Just buy some stuff. <laughs> just, you're, you're getting you're getting on my nerves. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what, it sounds like you're going to be uh, hopefully in Bemidji with us at the annual uh, GLOW conference this year in September. Uh, Dan and I have already been making plans about doing some fishing up there, and, and we'll be filming, of course, too. So we should we should plan on getting you in the boat and sharing a boat yes, and no, uh, doing some fishing and filming this year. Yes, sir. I'd love to. I, I, really, I really appreciate the opportunity. It'd be a lot of fun. All right, uh, Ali Shakur, uh, great stuff again. Uh, let's do this again uh, in the future, and uh, we'll see you uh, this fall for sure. And thanks for the time today on the show. Sporting Journal Radio is a division of Macaba LLC. If you've got a question, comment, or story idea for us, send us an email. Go to sportingjournalradio.com. While you're there, you can learn how to advertise on the show and visit our store for hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. Go to sportingjournalradio.com.